Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Thursday, October the 17th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a change at quarterback once more. I'll tell you the thinking behind going back to Ryan Fitzpatrick and where Josh Rosen is at now. Plus, plenty of other roster updates, including some reinforcements on the way from the PUP. And finally, we'll preview Sunday's game in Buffalo. I'll tell you which non-quarterbacks I've got on the DVR for Saturday and some possible trades for Miami ahead of next Tuesday's deadline. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. And you can find the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the Josh Rosen charting project and the preview for this game up on LOD.com. Let's go ahead and dive right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. Roster news aplenty on Wednesday for the Miami Dolphins. Cordray, Tankersley, and Robert Kimdiche returned to practice on Wednesday. I'm really intrigued to get an evaluation on both of those guys, even though it sounds like they're a ways away from playing. Just getting them back onto the field and getting a look at them in practice and in some games later on down the road should be beneficial for Miami at two big-time positions of need at cornerback. That area really needs some reinforcements, and so does the interior defensive line with Robert Kimdiche. But it is Tankersley who I'm most intrigued to see because this guy excels in man coverage, at least he did when he was at Clemson and early on his rookie year in 2017. And as we all know, this Dolphins defense wants to be man coverage primarily. And then in 2018, Tankersley got completely lost in Matt Burke's defense in his second year, which is pretty odd when you consider that he played well in the exact same scheme in 2017. Kandice, a conditioning issue for him early on. We'll see if he can get that taken care of. But the pass rush skills, the lateral agility, the quickness for his size, he's a scheme fit in this defense. He'll have a good audition for this Dolphins team to at least maybe be a part of the rotation next year. Daniel Kilgore sounds like he's not going to play in the game on Sunday. Evan Bame instead will slide over and play center. I assume that means Shaq Calhoun at right guard, but we shall see. And Xavier Howard and Jakeem Grant were both back at practice on Wednesday as well. The Dolphins also added to their practice squad, signing cornerback Jason Stanley, an undrafted free agent from Georgia. He will be on the practice squad going forward. And no more burying the lead, Travis. You're a professional, damn it. Big news of the day. Brian Flores announces that Ryan Fitzpatrick will start the game on Sunday in place of a healthy Josh Rosen. And there was quite a bit of backlash on Twitter over this topic, especially around the optics of this. And that's where I agree with the pro-Rosen crowd, or I guess the anti-Flores crowd in this regard, that the optics of this, they're really, really bad. You go out and announce last week that Josh Rosen has a grasp on the starting job going forward, and then you take him out in-game, which I have no issue doing. You have to manage a game in an individual basis on a game-by-game basis. Totally fine, and the results were definitely prove the coaching staff right in that regard, but then to go back out after the game at the podium and say that Rosen is the quarterback going forward, and then three days later make this switch, 
what are you doing? And I know what they're doing. They saw the tape, and you guys saw the tape. I saw the tape. I showed you the tape. It was awful. Josh Rosen was awful in that game on Sunday. One of the worst quarterback performances I've ever seen, despite the fact that he had not-so-great circumstances around him. And Fitzpatrick comes in with the same circumstances and balled out. So, I mean, I get it. They watched the tape. They made the decision. They've told themselves since August that maybe Josh Rosen isn't the guy. I think this continues to confirm that going forward. And you have to consider the development of the rest of the locker room above just one player, one quarterback, who you spent the 58th pick on last year. Not that high of an investment. You have to rally these troops and have the idea that you're still trying to win football games and convey that message and get guys to buy in because you're going to have Devon Godshaw, Christian Wilkins, Xavier Howard, Jerome Baker, Raekwon McMillan. The list goes on and on and on. You're going to have all these guys that are supposed to be here on the other side of the rebuild, on the other side of the tank season, and they have to believe in Brian Flores. They're the troops that have to convey the message to the incoming new players next year, and for Brian Flores to keep them in line, to keep them engaged, he has to approach this season with an attempt to win these games, even though the front office has hamstrung the roster to a point where it doesn't seem possible. Brian Flores' job is to put the best players in the best position to win, and that's what he's doing right here, and it will get faith from the rest of the team in the locker room as they now know they have at least a puncher's chance in the game on Sunday. And in a season that is supposed to be an extended evaluation, if Rosen's already proven that he's not the quarterback, then why let him stay out there and prevent or stunt the possible growth or evaluation of the rest of the offense who can't get evaluated because this guy cannot identify a middle linebacker and get the right protection call and get himself upright to make throws down the field? Fitzpatrick did it. He didn't do it. Rosen's taken 16 sacks this year on 195 snaps. That's one every 12 snaps. And Ryan Fitzpatrick has just six on 114 snaps, one per 19. And you'll recall that game against Baltimore. Fitzpatrick had the exact same circumstances that Rosen saw on Sunday. He ran around, tried to make plays. And I actually thought played pretty well in that game for a quarterback dealing with those circumstances and that unmitigated pass rush that was relentless against the Dolphins offensive line. And we want to see Chad O'Shea develop as a play caller. And I trust him here because he had his quarterback take three sacks on the first four snaps. And then they had to abandon the game plan and throw everything behind the line of scrimmage. Only four completions beyond the line of scrimmage. You can't win in the National Football League with that type of an offense. So the big takeaway from this, bad optics, terrible look for the coaching staff and the way they presented this. But at the same time, the best measure to take to win the locker room back or to keep the locker room in your corner if you're Coach Flores and the best opportunity to evaluate the rest of the roster you have so far in 2019. And I think that CK Parrott might have put it best on Twitter when he mentioned that Miami can kind of take the bad guy role here and help preserve Josh Rosen's value in the event of a possible trade next offseason. If that were to happen, a team can look at Rosen and say, well, the Cardinals didn't do him any favors. The Dolphins didn't do him any favors. And by putting him back on the bench, you can almost just say that he, the Dolphins are the bad guy here and Rosen still has talent. That's a great point by Chris. I agree with him there. I think this is the best and only way you preserve value for Josh Rosen because he's playing so poorly. He has happy feet. He's jumping when there's no pressure around him on his passes, like jump passes. He's consistently late. He got um, almost got Alan Hearns killed in the game against Dallas. He almost got Preston Williams killed last week with his first pass of the game late on that slant route. He missed that chance for a big play to Mike 
Mike Gesicki because he was late on that one and it should have been picked off as a result. Defensive back dropped the football. There's a lack of trust between Rosen and Gesicki, you've noticed, as time goes along here. That's what I've heard from reports inside the Dolphins building and facility and that's been shown out there on the field as well. So maybe Gesicki gets more unlocked. And to just go back now to the value of the trade for Josh Rosen, yeah, wasting the 58th pick in the draft Obviously not ideal, but I still wouldn't consider it a total bust or a wasted value because while it's not good, don't get me wrong, they still made a made a, a small investment risk on a player that could have provided way more upside than what he's done so far. It just hasn't worked out so far. Yeah, they could have had Chase Winovich, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Juan Thornhill, or Charles Amenahu, four guys that I absolutely loved as perfect fits in this defense but they didn't. But also, Drew Locke went higher than that in this year's draft. Hell, even Brian Brom once upon a time was a second round pick of the Packers. We've seen that pick wasted a million times, even for the Dolphins and on quarterbacks. John Beck, Chad Henney, Pat White, AJ Feely, and now Josh Rosen seems to be the next one in line for a second round wasted bust pick on a quarterback. And pretty much all but guaranteeing this team will draft a quarterback highly next year in the 2020 NFL Draft. So not a total waste, but still not great and poor optics. And Ryan Fitzpatrick will start the game on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills, against that good defense. We'll come back here in just one second and preview that game on Sunday in Buffalo. But first, can't find a workout that keeps you engaged? Peloton is an immersive cardio experience with real-time features that will always keep you coming back. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout from the convenience of your own home. Go to OnePeloton.com, use promo code LOCKED to get started today. seems like the most exciting or noteworthy news updates we have all season long have been about stuff that really occurs off the field or announcements at the coach's podium. Whatever I'm trying to say here is that Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday seem to be more exciting than the actual weekend of games. We'll talk about Saturday and college football in this podcast as well as tomorrow's podcast. We'll talk about some possible trade ideas, but first... There's a game on Sunday. The Dolphins do travel to Buffalo to face division rival the Buffalo Bills, who are 4-1. Dolphins coming in 0-5, obviously. 1 o'clock Eastern, October 20th at New Era Field. Going to be 62 degrees out there and partly cloudy. So you Buffalo natives that are Dolphins fans, I envy you, or I, I don't envy you, I should say. But it should be a nice game for you to go out to if you want to get out there and watch this Dolphins team get stomped out. We know Ryan Fitzpatrick is starting, but what about this Bills team? Can we learn? You guys remember Brian Dable? the architect of the Dolphins quote-unquote left lane offense in 2011 the one that had that opening drive touchdown against the Patriots on Monday Night Football where Chad Henney ran the touchdown in and spiked the football emphatically in the end zone that guy coaches the Bills offense this year in Josh Allen and here's how it's going they rank 28th in volume offense 22nd in yards per play and they are 24th in the NFL on third down conversions but where they get you is they convert a high touchdown rate once they get into the red zone 10 touchdowns on 14 trips into the red zone. It's a run-based attack. They want to use RPO design runs for the quarterback. They want to go between man and outside zone, utilize some split zone in there as well, and they're going to find a way to get you stretched out and try to jam that thing back inside on cutbacks and use the ageless Frank Gore to make that happen. And they want to play a ball control style of offense, keep the game close, and just shut you down on defense. And that's what they've done so far through five games. 
Hell, they almost picked off the Patriots playing that exact style of offense on a couple weeks ago in that game at home against the Pats. They are 21st in average drive length, despite ranking 6th in rushing yards in the NFL, and they'll go after this Dolphins' 31st-ranked run defense without any question. The Dolphins allowed 145 yards last game against Washington when we all knew that Washington was going to run the ball directly at Miami. And the big element of this Buffalo offense when it comes to making plays down the field is Josh Rose, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen rather, going off script and making improvisational plays. It's the best part of his game. He can slip out of sacks as we saw him do last year in those games against Miami. And he has that howitzer for a right arm. Not a very accurate howitzer, but a howitzer nonetheless. So he'll get the ball out there to John Brown in the deep portion of the field. He'll go short to Cole Beasley and he'll find Dawson Knox over the middle of the field, their rookie tight end, who has been pretty good so far. Their offensive line has improved big time over the years. I think Deion Dawkins is a big upgrade at left tackle over Cordy Glenn. And Cody Ford, their right tackle, he's a rookie. He struggled. Probably the type of guy Miami might go after next year to get this offense going back on the right track. And you expect rookie struggles from offensive linemen. It's a tough position to learn. But he's been out there and playing every game. And then center Mitch Morse has been an absolute stabilizing force. That's a player the Dolphins have to go after. A solid veteran center or even a rookie center. A guy that can communicate the protection calls and do stuff as far as reaching blocks, getting out on screens, pass protection, all that stuff. Mitch Morse can do all that. So the offense, not very good, but where they make their money is this Buffalo defense and Sean McDermott has completely transformed this team into a very specific on-brand type of team. They fly to the ball, they bait and they trap, they'll rob the middle of the field. I'm sure they're going to get a few picks in this game, whether it was Rosen or Fitzpatrick. They like taking the football away. They have various fronts and formations up front and a lot of that flexibility comes from the strength of that back seven and McDermott uses all of that to his advantage to challenge routes at the line of scrimmage. They pass off effectively in zone and they create pressure by blitzing 11th most in the National Football League a 31% time 31% of the time they blitz, I should say, the opposing quarterback. As far as the players on their defense, Tremaine Edmonds was an option for Miami in the draft a couple years ago, the same draft where they took Minka Fitzpatrick instead of Edmonds or, you know, Derwin James, whoever you wanted in that spot. But Edmonds has been a star for the Bills. He doesn't leave the field. He's played all 100% of their snaps this year through five games. He's the 24th graded linebacker on pro football focus. He's long. He disrupts passing lanes. He can rush the passer a little bit, hasn't done it much this year, and he makes a bunch of plays against the run every single game. In that secondary, Tredavious White, who is kind of famous slash infamous for being the guy they chose instead of staying in their spot in the first round and drafting Patrick Mahomes. Aren't we all glad that didn't happen? But they still wound up with a great cornerback, not a quarterback, who's out there playing feisty physical football. He challenges all three points of the route, like I mentioned with McDermott, line of scrimmage, top of the route, and the catch point. And he is terrific at funneling into one of the best safety tandems in the NFL. Micah Hyde ranks sixth. Jordan Poyer ranked 17th on Pro Football Focus. I am almost certain one of those guys will get a pick in this game. And Jordan Phillips is playing well for the Bills. It sucks to say it because Adam Gaze basically forced him out of town. But Jordan Phillips has four sacks this year. He's playing more with Harrison Phillips on the shelf this season and producing as a pass rusher like we all hoped he would in Miami. As far as the Dolphins' opportunities in this game, it's going to be from the turnovers from Josh Allen. They're going to have to find a way to take the ball away, and that also has to occur through stopping the running game, which I just don't think they're going to be able to do. But if they can and get Josh Allen in some third longs and more of a contained rush, I am kind of excited to see how they rush Josh Allen because Matt Burke's wide nine defense, which basically says just go ahead and take the entire field wherever you want to go against us, 
I'm excited to see how they handle Josh Allen and hem him into the pocket with contained rush lanes rather than just sending out Robert Quinn and Cam Wake all the way upfield and giving Josh Allen an easy pocket to step up through. That'll be something fun to watch and how this defensive structure takes hold compared to what last year's defense did. On the concerning part, Pretty much everything, I think Buffalo can run the ball right down Miami's throat, and there's not a damn thing they can do to stop it. I think Frank Gore's going to bust out some seven, eight, nine-yard runs and just consistently churn out positive yards, keep Buffalo ahead of the chains, which again prevents Miami from getting those interceptions off Josh Allen. And so with that, my projected outcome for the game, I was going to predict a shutout with Rosen in the game, but with Fitzpatrick out there, I think the likelihood for multiple Bills takeaways probably does increase a little bit, but so does the likelihood that Miami hits some big plays down the field. I think the Dolphins will get a late drive to make the score look closer than it is, but at the end of the day, 23-7 to Buffalo. Miami gets one late touchdown and Buffalo puts a couple of early touchdowns to just milk this game away and give the Dolphins what they want in a loss and give the Bills what they want in a victory. So difficult game for Miami. And while I didn't do a lock last week, it would have been to pick Washington to cover the original six-point spread, which they did not only because Ryan Fitzpatrick came into the game. So in this instance, Fitzpatrick actually helps me on the lock, if I'm tanking the lock, I guess. But we'll do a lock on tomorrow's show. So consider it 0-5 to this point. Maybe I can pull out my first victory on tomorrow's show in the lock segment. But before we get into our final segment today, I wanted to talk about the trade of Jalen Ramsey going to the Los Angeles Rams for two first-round picks from Jacksonville, which probably winds up in the 20s, similar to the picks the Dolphins will get from Houston and the Laramie Tunzel and Kenny Stills trade, and this brings back the topic that I wanted to get into a few weeks ago when it sounded like Ramsey was on the way out. The Dolphins got more for Tunzel and Stills than the Jags got for an all-pro cornerback. Tunzel has no all-pros, no Pro Bowls to his name. That'll change this year. He's a damn good tackle, but he's not at the level of Jalen Ramsey, at least not yet, and yet he instills, who, by the way, is pro football focus's number two graded receiver this season, so please stop acting like he's nobody. I saw someone call him a throw-in in the trade yesterday. That's so disingenuous to Kenny Stills. He is much better than that, but those two players, Instills and Tunzel, bring back significantly more two additional second-round draft picks than what Ramsey did So it's all about these market opportunities and staying true to that message and that approach and what Miami has done. And a trade like this only makes Miami look better for it because of the value they got. You might not not like losing those players, but you cannot argue that Miami got more value for players that are worse than Jalen Ramsey on the whole. So just like with Josh Rosen, getting him 48 picks later than he was originally picked just one year prior from pick 10 to 58, getting quarterback rates for a tackle and a good receiver, value, value, value. That's what it's all about for this Dolphins team. And one last note here on the trade, Jalen Ramsey is the second player under the age of 25 with an all pro to his name to ever be traded. Jerome Bettis was the other. So Laramie Tunzel is bringing back more than that guy who just made history, just an FYI. And I also do FYIs for college football picks on Friday. Last week, we were 3-3. Three and three. We're still above water, though. Two games over 500. And if you ever find yourself wishing you could make some extra cash with your NFL knowledge or college football knowledge, you got to check out my bookie. They want to make your dream come true this season. 
Right now, all players are invited to play in the free $50,000 Survivor Contest. Winner takes all. Just pick one team each week, survive the longest, and you can take home $50,000 in cash money. Make a successful deposit with MyBookie and you'll receive a free entry into the contest today between football season, the Major League Baseball playoffs, and the tip-off of the NBA season and the puck dropping. It's the best time of year. It's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with MyBookie. Whether you like parlays, teasers, fantasy points for individual players, MyBookie has every bet you want and you can find all your bets at MyBookie.ag. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to MyBookie because nobody gives you more ways to win. And if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON to double your cash today. Visit MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. The trade deadline is next Tuesday in the National Football League. And with the flurry of moves that happened this Tuesday, I do want to look at some possible names that could be on the move, both imports and exports for your Miami Dolphins. But before we do that, let's talk some draft and in particular, some non-quarterback names I've loaded up for the DVR this weekend. There are tons of good games this Saturday. Cannot wait for college football Saturday this weekend. And as you guys have come accustomed to on LockedOnDolphins.com, in addition to the quarterback scouting reports every single week up on LOD, I've been adding some players I've been watching outside of the quarterback position to that list every week and that rolls on this week and we're starting off with the early games West Virginia's in Oklahoma I can't wait to get my eyes back on Creed Humphrey and C.D. Lamb and Kenneth Murray all those Oklahoma guys I watched last week we'll get a look at Jalen Hurts as well but Oklahoma always has talent to watch so I'll be keeping an eye on that one in the Wisconsin Illinois game Tyler Byadash Jonathan Taylor plenty of those Wisconsin Badgers provide some possible fits for the Dolphins running game and offensive line next season that too is an early game and then there's a good matchup in that same window between Clemson and Louisville and Clemson obviously has Isaiah Simmons and T Higgins and Travis Etienne and tons and tons of talent on that roster but somebody mentioned to me a Louisville tackle named Makai Beckwith I think it was something to that effect I could be butchering that name he's like 370 pounds and like 7 foot 11 tall he's crazy big but he's so raw I want to see how he can handle these Clemson pass rushers maybe get a glimpse into some of the things he can do from a physical standpoint I'll watch that one and then we go on to the later games 12 30 pacific 3 30 for you guys on the east coast of course oregon and washington a big one there and then you've got lsu and mississippi state so mostly a quarterback window in that 12 30 or 3 30 window depending on whether you're west coast or east coast and then the later games in the afternoon kentucky's at georgia i want to watch andrew thomas in that one and deal with that kentucky pass rush i wish they still had josh allen to evaluate there i also love me some deandre swift so i'll get an eye on him and then the arizona state and utah game I want to see how Zach Moss runs against that Sun Devil defense and then you move on to some of the later games and if you've got Tua against Tennessee obviously you've got Jordan Love against Nevada later on but we also have Penn State Michigan that one's at 730 some good talent to watch in that game and that's pretty much it for now if you guys have any recommendations I'm always open to them on Twitter let me know some players playing this Saturday maybe against some good competition for that player just let me know we'll talk about it on Twitter and we'll have the College Football Friday segment on tomorrow's podcast Let's go ahead now and talk about our final segment, the trade deadline approaching on Tuesday. 
And I was trying to think about the best way to position this segment, and all I wanted to do was try to get a feel for which teams might be sellers and which players could be available. And so I found an article on Sports Illustrated, buyers and sellers ahead of the NFL's trade deadline, and basically they're taking players who are on the last year of their contracts for bad teams. So let's go ahead and talk about some of these available assets you might look at. The Falcons up first. They have Vic Beasley and Austin Hooper. I don't think Miami's going to be buyers on guys on one-year rental deals. In fact, I don't think they'll be buyers in general at all, so we have to keep that in mind. But I do think that Austin Hooper could be a name to explore here as far as the Falcons go. The Broncos, they have Chris Harris and Emmanuel Sanders, two guys that I have tweeted about. I even put Emmanuel Sanders into my free agent signing list or pool of players to choose from. I know you guys don't like the age on those guys, but I do think they both have football left in them and would be valuable in this offense and this defense. I don't think Miami trades for either of them, but I do think both those guys will be names the Dolphins are in on next offseason. The Jets, Leonard Williams, Robbie Anderson, they're not going to do business with Miami. The Bengals, AJ Green, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap. I could see some action for Carlos Dunlap. He has those long arms, can lock out and two-gap that way. They might be interested and his services. Washington, we all know about Trent Williams, Brandon Scherf, and Case Keenum is on there as well, although I'm not sure why he is. But I think those first two names would be great options, especially Scherf, and you can kind of get an exclusive first right to, to give him a contract extension and make him your right guard of the future. And that's all they have. Not even the Dolphins up here, which I think is pretty crazy. But if Washington wants to do business on those offensive linemen, I would definitely be intrigued, and I would definitely inquire, I should say, if I'm the Dolphins about those two players, especially with Scherf. You can probably get a long-term deal done with him, I think, before you get that trade agreed to. That might be an option going forward. Now, I think where the Dolphins do come in on this trade deadline is as sellers. That's pretty obvious, I think. And this comes from Barry Jackson's article on the Miami Herald. He discussed the idea that the Dolphins have, not the idea, but the fact, rather, that the Dolphins have discussed a contract extension with Kenyon Drake. However, the details of that conversation are not well known because both the team and the agent declined to speak on behalf of Kenyon Drake and his contract extension. And Jackson speculates that Miami has a philosophy that this team does not want to spend big money on the running back position. So Kenyon Drake's going to have to take a hometown discount, a team-friendly deal. And maybe he will because he's been kind of a good soldier, so to speak, a guy that has said the right things and kind of positioned himself to be in the good graces of this coaching staff. And the fact that they're even entertaining the idea of a contract extension tells me they do believe in his upside. I would love to see Kenyon Drake come back on a team-friendly deal, a cheap contract. This probably puts a little bit of piss in my Cheerios as far as the Austin Eckler idea. I think he'll get paid by the Chargers or somebody else. So Miami probably out on the big free agent running back market, which I think most of us are okay with. And then lastly, of course, Devontae Parker, who Barry put in this article, and he said that Devontae Parker wants to be here. He likes being a Miami Dolphin. And that confirms what Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post told us on a podcast back in the summer. I forget when it was, probably May or June, the dead period. But he told us that Devontae Parker had rededicated himself and that he wants to change his legacy as a Dolphin. And it's kind of crazy because I find myself liking Devontae Parker now where I was his biggest critic 
just a year ago. And so I think that Parker has value here long-term, definitely here for next season, maybe even beyond that. So those are some names to keep an eye on. Drake and Parker, I think, are the biggest trade assets. And one more bit of news here before we get out of here on this podcast. It came across the news wire late in the day, as far as the East Coast is concerned, that Roger Goodell has already made a statement that they will not look to go to a draft lottery or take punitive measures for teams that they assume are tanking because there's not enough evidence of that. And I found it somewhat coincidental that that came out shortly after Brian Flores announced that Ryan Fitzpatrick would start on Sunday. So I think we're safe. I think we're all safe on losing any draft picks or capital. Now, maybe they come back and revisit this in the offseason at the owners meetings. But for now, the 2019 Miami Dolphins and their 2020 draft class or draft picks are safe. That's going to do it for this Thursday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We'll have the mailbag for you guys tomorrow, College Football Friday, the lock of the week, and hopefully some other stuff. I have some more programming notes, I suppose, to put in there in the show either this week or next week. So we'll get to all of that. But as for now, that's going to be it for this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Friday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.